Welcome to the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Axial Spondyloarthritis Podcast. I hope everyone has had just a wonderful week since we talked last. You know, this has been a really good week. Well, the weather stinks a little bit, uh, spring's coming, and got good weather to look forward to. So I wanted to point out a couple things. First, we had some downloads take place in the 121st country. To me, again, that is amazing. Downloads were done in the Turks and the Caicos Islands in the Southern Caribbean. Amazing that those came in. Again, a just goes to show that this condition affects people everywhere, 121 countries. That's amazing to me. And then I also wanted to share, I got a really nice compliment slash review on the show. And because this is really all of our shows, I wanted to share it. And the person wrote, I cannot put into words how grateful I am for your podcast. I'm a clinical psychology postdoctoral fellow working in a spinal cord injury disorder hospital, and I have radiographic spondyloarthritis, or otherwise ankylosing spondylitis. It is so, so important for people with chronic health conditions to communicate effectively with their medical team, and your podcast gives people concrete recommendations for that. I really appreciate that you emphasize respect for the physician expertise while also encouraging patients to reasonably advocate for themselves. Thank you. I always look forward to your podcast during my commute, and opening song puts a smile on my face. Well, thank you, because some people don't care for that opening song, so I'm glad you do. I like it, and it's great to hear that someone else does as well. And I, the words are awesome. I really appreciate it. Please uh, take some time to reach out through the Facebook page or through the spondypodcast.com to let me know who you are that sent that. I really appreciate it. So on to today's show. I wanted to look at something that I saw this article a while ago and I kind of keep putting off doing it because, you know, you get these lists of top this, top 10 this, top 10 that. But, you know, I figured this one would kind of work and it's from an article in Creaky Joints and it's called 12 Myths About Axial Spondyloarthritis That Are Dangerous to Believe. I don't know about dangerous, maybe aggravating, maybe... uh something we'd like to change as a group. But anyway, I thought I'd go through these and share a few things with you because there there really is a lot of good information in this. Article starts off talking to a couple of different doctors and talks about what axial spondyloarthritis is. And I think we all probably have a fairly good grasp on that disease that affects spine, hips, sacroiliac joints. So as you think about that as a whole, as we start to go through this list, They mentioned a couple things that I thought were kind of interesting, and they go on to interview this one rheumatologist in New York City, and they say, before we would only speak about ankylosing spondylitis, the doctor says, then we recognize that only one subgroup, and that's an equally big and even bigger group, and that's non-radiographic, but on the same spectrum of diseases. So basically, he's saying for a long time, only the doctors focused on people with ankylosing spondylitis in that they completely ignored the subgroup that's really only been named for the last 10, 12 years, and that's non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. And that's where we've really seen the 
proper diagnosis come for a lot of women that tend to fall into the non-radiographic and most likely will move on to the radiographic or ankylosing spondylitis. But that's really been where the huge increase in patients has come from is recognizing that this is one disease called axial spondyloarthritis and using the term non-radiographic or radiographic really doesn't suit us as patients. That's really something that just the doctor should look at. And they go on to interview this other doctor, Rajat Bhatt, who is a rheumatologist at Prime Rheumatology in Richmond, Texas. Non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis will eventually progress to AS in some patients, but not all. And they said, this is just one of the many confusing elements about axial spondyloarthritis. We don't know the natural history of this disease very well yet, says Dr. Bott. Experts do know that there is no cure for this inflammatory disease with an impossible name, as they go on to say. So let's look at the 12 myth-slash-facts. Myth, axial spondyloarthritis is rare. The fact is, axial spondyloarthritis is about as common as rheumatoid arthritis. A disease is considered rare if it affects fewer than 200,000 people, according to a widely cited study that aimed to establish the national prevalence of spondyloarthritis in the U.S. About 2.7 million Americans or more are affected by axial spondyloarthritis. That's about the same as for the rheumatoid arthritis, according to researchers. Within that group, half will have non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis and the other half will have ankylosing spondylitis. What's more, these numbers may be an underestimate, according to researchers, because the data set on which they were based did not capture all the information included in common classification criteria for axial spondyloarthritis. So this disease is not rare. It's actually quite common, and as it gets more and more properly identified as we go forward, it's really a situation that probably needs to have a lot more dollars put towards it, towards research, because it's so little is understood about it, and it affects such a large percentage of the population, both in the United States and around the world, that it's really a disease that much, much more needs to be known about, because it drastically alters the quality of life for so many people, and it affects the ability for people to work, to live, to just even function. So it's one that I hopefully will see in my lifetime more and more research dollars go towards. Myth, axial spondyloarthritis is a man's disease. Well, we've covered this numerous times in this show. The fact is, women get axial spondyloarthritis too. It's true that historically, ankylosing spondylitis was considered a predominantly male disease. We, in fact, know that early studies estimated that every 10 men with axial spondyloarthritis, only one woman had it. But newer findings, however, suggest that the male-to-female ratio is much closer to 3 to 1, and I've even seen some studies talk about that being closer to 1 to 1, you know, 1.5 to 1. So it's it's almost a 1 to 1 basis is what they're finding. Additionally, the prevalence of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis is equal among the sexes. We know that non-radiographic is just as common in women, so we don't think of axial spondyloarthritis as a man's disease. That said, physician's bias may still exist, resulting in it taking longer for the disease to be diagnosed in women, as noted in a 2018 study. For example, doctors may be less likely to suspect axial spondyloarthritis in women who present with symptoms. They may chalk it up to back pain due to other causes or another condition that causes widespread pain, like fibromyalgia. 
So again, it's very important that you work with your doctors, but you also have to be your best advocate so that you can push forward for a diagnosis. And I think it's very, very important that you go in with trying to get a diagnosis of the term axial spondyloarthritis. Don't go in there looking for ankylosing spondylitis because if you don't have the joint damage, well, the doctor's supposed to know that and supposed to be up on everything. They may not be, or they may not be thinking along the paths when you hammer them really hard for ankylosing spondylitis and they tell you you don't have it, could push them off towards fibro or something different. So again, very important to use that terminology, axial spondyloarthritis. Myth. Axial spondyloarthritis mostly affects older people. Fact, axial spondyloarthritis typically starts young. When many people hear the symptoms like arthritis and back pain, they immediately assume it's an old person problem. But that's not the case with axial spondyloarthritis. In fact, getting chronic back pain at a young age is a red flag symptom of inflammatory back pain, the kind involved in axial spondyloarthritis. Dr. Atul Diodar, an MD at the Medicine and Medical Director of Rheumatology in Oregon, goes on to say, Axial spondyloarthritis generally starts in people during their teens or in their 20s or maybe even in their 30s. But being younger combined with not knowing about axial spondyloarthritis is also a recipe for being misdiagnosed. People in their teens, 20s, and 30s who start experiencing back pain may chalk up the symptoms to mechanical causes like exercise or sports injury. They may also be more likely to start treating their back pain with things like chiropractic care or massage therapy, further delaying the path to diagnosis. Axial spondyloarthritis only affects your back. Fact, axial spondyloarthritis may also impact your feet, eyes, gut, and much more. The most common axial spondyloarthritis symptoms in pain and stiffness in the lower back resulting from inflammation in either the sacroiliac joints, the spine, or both. But other joints can be affected, you know, including your neck, your shoulders, your hips, knees, pretty much anything. Also included can be the tendons and the ligaments that attach to the bones. This condition is called enthesitis and tends to affect the back of your heels a lot, uh, where it can be mistaken for Achilles tendonitis, and the sole of your foot, where it can be mistaken for plantar fasciitis. So there's so many areas, you know, when you get to your eyes, there could be uveitis or it could be iritis. So there's so many things that this inflammation can affect. It's very, very important that you're working with your doctor to have a solid treatment plan in place for all the areas that can happen and have a right set of doctors for your medical team, ophthalmologist, rheumatologist, maybe an orthopedic surgeon, and then your primary care physician. All of them have to be willing to work together. The myth is resting will ease pain and stiffness from axial spondyloarthritis. Well, the fact is that rest may exasperate or worsen your axial spondyloarthritis back pain. We know that movement is what your body needs. The more you move, generally the better your condition will feel. And when you stop, sit down, slow down, that's when the pain becomes even more intense. So axial spondyloarthritis is you know, an inflammatory disease, which means that the inflammation is a result of your immune system attacking your body's own tissues. The inflammation causes pain and is different than the aches and pains you feel when you know you lift something heavy or sleeping on a bad mattress. So ultimately, you'll want to be the one that has to learn to tell, are you dealing with mechanical or inflammatory pain so as to best help your doctors you know, work through your treatment plan as to what's going to be hopefully helpful for you and bring you some relief. Myth. A simple test can confirm an axial spondyloarthritis diagnosis. 
Well, the real fact of that is there is no one test that can be used to diagnose axial spondyloarthritis. So if you go in and say, well, hey, I got a blood test done and I have the HLA-B27 gene, it really doesn't mean anything. It means you might have a higher likelihood of developing something from the genetic marker, but that's not the only thing that needs to be looked at. You need to look at the whole process of getting a diagnosis. And that's the testing and the diagnosis. Everything kind of works together. It's not as though you can walk in, get a blood test, and find out you have this condition. So research shows that it can take an average of almost seven years for someone to be diagnosed with axial spondyloarthritis. According to a recent review published in the Journal of Rheumatology, there are many possible explanations for this. And that's starting with the fact that many people don't know that they have axial spondyloarthritis or suspect it as a cause of their symptoms. One doctor went on to say about 90% of adults will experience low back pain at some point in their lives. So is it mechanical or is it inflammatory? That's the big question you have to then push forward and figure out. But even if your physician is familiar with axial spondyloarthritis, or you go to a rheumatologist from the start, it still may take a while to get diagnosed. There's no diagnostic test or specific progression of this condition. And that's one of the more frustrating things for us as patients. We need to be looked at over a while. So there's a physical exam, there's image testing done, uh, there's an assessment of personal and family medical history, blood work, all of it gets looked at to try and put the pieces together. Unfortunately, I wish there was one test it would make it so much easier. It's like biologics. There is no test that says, here's the biologic that's going to work for you. And that can make it you know, very frustrating as we try to work through and get a treatment for this condition. Myth. A genetic test can reveal if you have axial spondyloarthritis. Well, the fact is, there is a genetic marker associated with axial spondyloarthritis, but you can have axial spondyloarthritis without the genetic marker. That genetic marker is HLA-B27. If you have it, that doesn't mean you will get axial spondyloarthritis. And if you don't have it, that means you can't get it. It just means that you don't have it. So according to the American College of Rheumatology, HLA-B27 is the most common genetic marker associated with axial spondyloarthritis. It is a form of the HLA-B gene, which provides instructions for making a protein that sits on the surface of cells and helps your immune system determine which proteins it comes in contact with are from your own body and which are foreign and potentially dangerous, such as viruses and bacteria. It is unclear how HLA-B2 contribute to axial spondyloarthritis and other inflammatory or autoimmune diseases. So if you test negative for HLA-B27, you're in the clear, right? Wrong. You could be negative for the gene and still get it. So, you know, there's a bottom line is that axial spondyloarthritis is a complex disease that's not caused only by one gene, but by a mix of genetic, environmental, and other risk factors. Again, I wish it was very simple to do one specific test, look at one specific marker. It's just not. Myth. If you have non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, it will eventually develop an ankylosing spondylitis. Well, the fact is that not everyone with non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis develops ankylosing spondylitis. There was a study done in 2019 that was in the journal Current Opinion in Rheumatology that indicated up to 40% of patients with non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis progressed to ankylosing spondylitis over a 2-10 to 10 year period. That means the majority of people do not develop structural changes in the SI joints and progress to AS, or at least not quickly. There's no way to know for sure who will develop AS and who won't. There are patients who not only 
don't progress, but the symptoms resolve on their own or the patient goes into remission. Certain characteristics, however, may help predict worse outcomes. So there's certain risk factors for progression to AS, including male sex, elevated inflammatory markers, presence of the HLA-B27 gene, and a degree of inflammation seen on MRIs of the SI joints. Still, even with these risk factors, not all patients progress. Myth. NSAIDs won't help treat axial spondyloarthritis. Fact. NSAIDs are the first line of treatment for axial spondyloarthritis, but they're not your only option. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, work to relieve pain and stiffness and reduce inflammation and tend to be underused for the treatment, says Dr. Bott. Quite often, people think NSAIDs are not effective, but that's not the case, he says. In fact, NSAIDs, such as naproxen, ibuprofen, and meloxicam, remain the first line of treatment for axial spondyloarthritis, according to the American College of Rheumatology. That said, prolonged use of NSAIDs, especially in high doses, may come with side effects and risks. Some of the most Commonly reported side effects, according to the Cleveland Clinic, include stomach and gut symptoms like gas and bloating, stomach pain, and nausea. NSAIDs may also increase your risk of ulcers and bleeding in the GI tract, as well as heart and kidney problems. So, while they are good for use, and they are the doctors like to try and start you off on to see if that can control it, they will eventually want to see if there's other things if your AS continues to progress and your axial spondyloarthritis continues to move along they will look at other types of stronger drugs like, say, a biologic to either work with the NSAIDs or in replace of them as far as to bring that inflammation down. Myth. Only medications can ease axial spondyloarthritis pain. Well, the real fact is that physical activity is an important part of managing axial spondyloarthritis. Many patients have an over-optimistic view of medications, says Dr. Bott. They don't engage in physical activity thinking meds will take care of all the pain. But medications need to be used in conjunction with physical therapy and home exercise. That's because regular physical activity can help to relieve pain through circulation, says Dr. Bott, previously explained and improve strength and flexibility. Exercises like yoga help to maintain the spine mobility and build core strength. So before beginning any new exercise program, make sure you talk to your doctor, done numerous episodes on both yoga and some basic exercise programs, but make sure that you're moving. You've got to move in addition to the medications that you take. Myth. You must follow a specific diet when diagnosed with axial spondyloarthritis. Fact. There's no one diet for axial spondyloarthritis, but certain foods may help you feel better. There are no well-done studies to show that any particular diet makes a difference in symptoms uh, for every patient. So, uh, you know, if a patient tells this doctor that's talking that if they eat a particular food, they feel much worse, then they tell them not to eat that particular food. That makes a lot of sense. Eating anti-inflammatory foods in conjunction with the right treatments may offer additional benefits. Consider plant-based Mediterranean diets, which work well for some. You might look at Uh, you know, a keto-based diet or, you know, everybody's different. That's the one thing is there is no blanket statement to say this type of eating is going to work great for everybody. So you want to make sure that you're trying to eat as little processed foods as possible. If that's the one thing, get healthy fish oils, you know, healthy fish, uh, lean meats, and just make sure that you're eating as the least amount of processed foods as possible. And that will go a long ways towards helping you as well as exercise and the right medications. Those three pieces of the puzzle can really help you to control and possibly put your axial spondyloarthritis in remission. 
Myth. Axial spondyloarthritis will leave you hunchbacked and in a wheelchair. Fact. Though axial spondyloarthritis can cause permanent damage and structural changes to the spine, this can be avoided. Ankylosing spondylitis is an inflammatory uh, disease you know, that over time can cause some of the small bones in your spine to fuse. This fusing makes the spine less flexible and can result in a hunched forward posi- uh, position or posture. But AS doesn't progress at the same rate in the same way in everyone. Patients have variable courses that they can do. Some are never destined to develop progression or significant symptoms and have a quite mild disease activity. And then the outlook for other patients is that they will be hunched over as, you know, if their progression is real fast and hard. That's what I ended up with. So, again, we're all different. And where you're going to end up 5, 10, 15 years down the road, a lot of that can be helped or controlled through the use of the right medications, exercise, and eating. So, again, those are all very important pieces of the puzzle that can help you control how you're going to do, you know, going forward. So I hope you liked all those myths and some of the facts that were involved in those. You know, it's really a very hard, hard disease to deal with on any given day, let alone to think 5, 10, 15 years down the road, but you have to. Controlling the eating, the foods that you eat, exercise, all of that wrapped up together can help to make your interactions with this condition much, much more tolerable. So with that, thank you for listening. I hope everybody has a wonderful week and I look forward to talking to you next week. Take care.